Thank you. Thank you. Now let's give one to Jesus. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Ah, it's, uh, it's always a privilege and an honor to speak at KT. And uh, I want to thank Pastor Colin uh, and Amanda Dye for letting me come back and Pastor Bruce for looking after me this morning. It's just a joy to be in London. There's no other church in London except KT. <laughs> of course there is, but it's, it's great to be here today. And uh, my wife sends her greetings. Uh, she couldn't be here today because she's got ironing to do. And... Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> it is great to be with you. I, I think, um, I don't know how much you know about what has happened to uh, our church, our churches in the last few years. I planted uh, the first church three and a half years ago, and by God's grace, this January, we'll have ten churches that we've planted. And um, our mission... Our mission is, our, our manifesto, as we've set it out, is Mission 5010. Um, it's called M5010. It's kind of like a, a top security level clearance thing, you know, M5010. And it's basically, God has told us to plant 50 churches in 10 years, all in Wales, because we're taking Wales for Christ. And um, we're intentional about that. And try. I know the 11 o'clock service is so responsive, but don't clap, you take up my time. So I'll just let you know when you can do that. I'll just go, okay, so you got it, okay. And uh, we, we just, we've just had a church planting conference. We, we had around three, 400 people at the conference there from America, Australia, and France, and Germany, different parts of the world, come in to learn of how they can plant churches. Because I believe the most effective form of evangelism is church planting. I'm convinced of it. I've, I've never lost that argument yet with anybody I've spoken to. I really believe that it is. But what happened on April the 10th in our church is that we had a visitation of the Holy Spirit in a profound way that uh, uh, resulted in the first six-month period seeing 150,000 people visit our church. Imagine your church here at KT being invaded by 150,000 people over a period of six months. It's quite intense. We met every single night, and we saw over 1,650-something people make first-time decisions for the Lord. Amen? Um, countless numbers of people reported being healed. We saw incredible miracles. Was everybody healed? No. But most certainly were that were prayed for. We saw the Lord do amazing things, all for His glory. And, and you know, as a church, it was it was exciting, but it was challenging. We had nights where the the presence of God was so strong there was just silence in the room. People were kneeling and weeping. Some nights there was just joy. People as if they'd been electrocuted dancing. It's Pentecostals, isn't it? You know. So, and it was just amazing, just amazing, and. And from that, of course, we, we hit the kind of headlines. We were in local, regional news, television stuff, secular news, got hold of it. It went around the world, went viral. And I think the video that I put out, actually, it, it got about 10,000 views within an hour on YouTube. And I was like, wow, we should be putting adverts attached to this. No, I'm only joking. And so... <laughs> So that's a little bit of done. And the church is, just to give you an update, I'm going to get into the word, but I need to share some stuff with you because I, I feel like you're my second family when I come here. So just to update you, continue to pray for me. I've handed all the churches now over to uh, my leaders. I'm sitting on like an executive eldership, so I'm overseeing it in an apostolic way. Uh, still there training, doing the visionary stuff and, and training up leaders for the future. Uh, I, I've just uh, literally signed a, a contract uh, to work with Channel 5. I've got my own show coming out in March. So I'll be on. Um, so I'll be on. Uh, uh, I've got a show coming out called The Store Detectives, and it comes out um, in March, and it's at nine o'clock in the evening, Channel Five. And of course, other shows that I'll be doing as well. So um, I'm really excited about. It. I'm in London a lot. In fact, the studios are in Camden, so I'm not too far from here. And um, 
probably going to be moving down here and living here for a few days a week as well. So you might get to see me just worshipping with you as well. Maybe come into the prayer meeting on a Wednesday night like you should as well. So anyway, um, <laughs> so th- that's what we're doing there. And of course, then next year we're launching Victory International. We, we're taking what's happened in our church around the world. We have openings around the world. I was on TBN just a few uh, last week um, in, in California, and that was interesting. I'd never, I'd never been in a green room that was full of gold. It was, it was amazing. Anyway, so had a great time there, and God is obviously opening many, many doors and uh, become friends with uh, Joel Osteen, as some of you will have seen on, on the God TV. Um, we'll be in Lakewood next year, and God has opened up a favorable door for us there, and um, he has been uh, promoting our church in, in the U.S. to people when they come to the U.K. to come to our church. So, yeah, I think that's wonderful. So, we thank God for that. So, God has been doing amazing things. But, you know, the most important thing of all to me is one soul. In the midst of all the stuff that goes on, and, you know, one person is precious to Jesus. I want to speak about one person today called Mary Magdalene. So, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke in the 8th chapter. Luke chapter 8. And thank you as well, Bruce, for the, uh, Michelle, for the uh, uh, hospitality. The, the hotel I'm staying in is lovely. The only problem is the towels are too fluffy. I can't get them in my suitcase. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. Luke chapter 8. I want to read a few verses here, not all of this, but I want to read a few verses and I'm going to give a bit of a narrative on this story before I get into the message this morning. And in fact, the message today uh, is going to be slightly different to what I normally, the style I'd normally preach, but I, I believe it's a word from God for people here today. And, and when I have that, then I have to be obedient, although it's not a sermon I would choose to preach. Sometimes you have to share what God has put on your heart. And I want to speak today about the power of believing in others. The power of believing in others. And we look at the scriptures here, Luke chapter 8. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support uh, them out of their own means. And God allowed his blessing to his most holy and sacred word to us today. Just in those few verses, there is packed so much information about the ministry of Jesus. Notice that these women are mentioned by name and they ministered with Jesus. They ministered to Jesus along with his disciples. But Jesus mentions this woman called Mary Magdalene first. And if you don't know the story of Mary's journey to faith in Jesus, it's incredible. Here was a woman that by all intents and purposes would be categorized as a failure. An absolute failure. Yet Jesus saw something in this woman. And he believed in her. And when she surrendered her life to him, you will find as you read through the accounts in the Gospels that this same Mary not only followed Jesus during his three years of ministry, but she was with him at the point of his death at the cross. She was at the burial and she was at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus said of this woman... That what she has done for me will be spoken of around the world for generations to come. So what was it that made this woman's journey so unique? It was this. Somebody believed in her. Just so happens this was Jesus who believed in her. And I want you to understand this today. If there's one thing you can remember, it's this. Never underestimate the power of believing in others. The reason I am where I am today, I know it's the Lord's work and the Lord's hand, but the Lord sent a lay Methodist preacher into my prison cell in 1993 on the fourth landing of Swansea 
Her Majesty's prison to speak to me, and he said two things to me, two things that were to change my life. Number one, God loves you, number two, and has a plan for your life. This lay Methodist preacher who had nothing in common with me, who had nothing to gain by coming to see this heroin addict in a prison cell, but simply saying, I believe in you. You won't fully comprehend that moment if I could take you back into that cell that afternoon in a cold month of April, sat on the fourth landing, and he sat opposite me. And when he spoke those words, something ignited inside of me that maybe, just maybe at this point, maybe there is some hope. Just maybe, but just give me a maybe. A maybe is enough. A maybe sometimes just gives you that sense of there's a possibility. This could change. Something could happen. Maybe, maybe. When someone places a maybe inside of you, it gives you that glimmer of hope that makes you realize, hang on a minute, I'm not on my own. I can get through this. My failures are not final. Because you see, when Ken Shingleton looked at me in that prison cell, he never saw my failure, he saw my future. When we believe in others, we don't look at their failures, we look at their future. Say it with me. We don't look at their failures, we look at their future. When I'm sat with a drug addict who's got a needle hanging out of the only vein that's left in his body, which is his groin, and he is gouging, and I look at him and think, there's no way, this is a failed person, this is failure all over, God says, no, I don't see failure, I see their future. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to bless you, not to do you harm, but to do you good, and to give you a future and a hope. Ha <laughs> ha, yabba do. <laughs> I love the Lord so much. You know, God is really positive. <laughs> ah, I wish it'd rub off on me. But we don't see their failures, we see their future. And it's true to say that a majority of people that are around us in our lives will see us and see the things that we do. And maybe they will know the failures. And they will then measure and define us by our failures. But God does not define us by our failures. He defines us by the plans that he has for our lives. And so the gift and the callings of God are without repentance God has planned it for you. God never saved you just to add another number to the gospel belt. God saved you because he has a plan for your life. And you might say, yeah, but I don't know. I can't speak and I can't, I can't. Listen, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Every man or woman in the Bible had a sense of they cannot do it. But that's the whole point. You cannot do it without God. But with God, all things are possible. Every time someone comes to me with a negative and says, but Pastor Rich, it can't. But with God, all things are possible. Possible? That's Welsh for possible. We want to go and do this for the Lord, but, but with God, all things are. The problem is people are getting their butts in the way. I mean the, the language now, not the, the but. We, <laughs> thank you, good morning. The, the but, but, but. These are excuses. Realize that you're a child of God. You've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You serve an awesome God, a God that can do anything, that can turn impossible situations around. He can turn failures into futures. So Ken Shingleton comes into my cell, 
tweed jacket, green shirt, paisley tie, and those trousers from Marks and Spencer's called Farah that create electricity when you walk. <laughs> the ones my mother made me wear to go to school in. You know the ones. <laughs> and he sat in my cell, but what did he see? He didn't see an 18-year-old drug addict. He didn't see my failures. He saw my future. And look, I'm standing in a church today preaching the sacred and holy word of God in London, the capital of our nation, dressed in a nice suit wearing a paisley tie. Why? Because he never saw my failure. The courts saw my failure. He, quote, the clerk of the court, he is a scumbag and he will never amount to anything. Quote the judge, you have ruined your life, ruined the lives of others, you're going to spend the rest of your life in jail. But Ken Shingleton believed in me. And he didn't see my failures, he saw my future. Believing in others is so important. This woman Mary, Jesus believed in her. Can you imagine what she must have felt about herself? How unclean, how dirty she must have felt. And yet she becomes one of Jesus' most important followers. And she loved him. Not up to the point of death, but even at the rest. She loved him with all of her heart. Because he believed in her. And now her story has been told all around the world. Like he said it would. Let me tell you, when you believe in others, you've got to learn to encourage the discouragement out of them. You know, you get discouraged all the time. Yes? There's enough stuff to get discouraged about all around you. And I, I am learning more and more, the greatest tool that we have at our disposal is to encourage people. We, mustn't, we are not called to be nasty. Well, I'm a ministry of being nasty. <laughs> no, you shouldn't have a ministry like that. You need a five-fold ministry hand. So, the, the laying on of hands. Anyway, so... There's no such ministry as hating. We are not called to hate people. Any ministry that builds itself on hating other people and hating other ministries is small-minded. You know that, don't you? Well, you know that lot down there. They don't do church like us because we're the real Christians. <laughs> what does that mean? You're just nuts. We're just... Locked in this world where, no, listen, we're not called to be nasty. People with differences to us, people who are not like us. In fact, when I talk about believing in others, I'm not necessarily talking about people in the church. I'm talking about people outside of the church. People in your family that yet have come to faith in Christ or have backslidden, rather than see their failures, see their futures, encourage the discouragement of them. Because most people leave the faith because they were discouraged. Something happened in a church, something happened in a relation, something happened that they got so discouraged, they thought, what is the point in going on? And that's the enemy's tactic, is to take away courage by discouraging you. He disses courage. Get down with yourself. Ah. It's all good in the hood. Hey, hey. He disses courage. Why? Because he operates using fear. Fear is like a trap. It's a snare. It strangles the life for you where you, 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 you're too afraid. You're afraid of what people think or what people are going to say. You're afraid of doing anything, so you do nothing. You become inactive. And the enemy's got a stranglehold on you. And sometimes just someone coming in to say, you know what, sweetheart, you could do this. I believe in you. Come on, girl. You can get out of that situation. I know it doesn't look like it right now, but come on, I believe in you. Come on, you can do this. One of the most profound things that ever happened to me is when I was in Swansea Crown Court. T. Lewis Bowen was the judge. And I'd started to come to faith in Christ, reading the Bible in prison after smoking the pages. And I was in the Crown Court, and I was asked to stand up. My co-defendant had been remanded back into custody. 
And as I'm cuffed in the dock, all of a sudden I felt a hand come on my shoulder. Just a hand rest on my shoulder. I've written about this in my book, To Catch a Thief. I haven't got any with me because I can't sell them anymore. No one's buying them. <laughs> I'm giving, I can't even give them away now. So I felt this hand on my shoulder. I thought it was the prison officer to take me back down once T. Lewis Bowen had decided what he was going to do. I turned around and there was nobody there. But let me tell you what happened to me when I felt that hand on my shoulder. The hand, as basic as I'm able to explain it, let me know that everything was going to be all right. And at that moment of time in my life, that's all I needed to know. And sometimes, just that hand on your shoulder by someone you love, someone who you respect highly, when they put their hand on your shoulder and tell you, don't worry, it's going to be all right. That is so powerful. Just think, humanly speaking, we can place our hands on people as assurance to say it's going to be all right. People can touch us on our shoulder, our heads to pray for us. But God takes his hand and touches you by resting it on your heart. And he says to you, don't worry, it's going to be all right. And that's a prophetic word for some people here today. You're facing some difficult times. And God says, don't worry, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Jesus said it like this, didn't he? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he takes it to the future. In my father's house are many mansions. If you read the NIV, it says many rooms. That's why I read the King James, because I'm going for a mansion. <laughs> Not a room. You're entitled to your one-bedroom apartment, but I know where I is going. <laughs> You might not have it in this life, but you're going to have it in the next one. <laughs> People joke about the pearly gates of heaven. They forget that's just my drive. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Believing in others. Encourage people. You know what you sow, you will reap. You sow encouragement into people. When you need it the most, God will send somebody to encourage you. When you're down, broken, busted, and disgusted, that's T.D. Jake's quote. <laughs> God will send somebody to encourage you out of your discouragement. Just in the nick of time, just when you're about to give up. And some of you watching the live stream, some of you watching this, you've, you don't come to church anymore. You've given up because you've been discouraged. Come back, be encouraged, come to God's house, get planted, get built up in the things of God. Encouragement. Encourage the discouragement out of people. If you want to be encouraged, you need to encourage people. Simple as that. The third thing, value others above your own opinion. You see, Jesus that day could have had his opinion of Mary Magdalene. A woman with demons, unclean, failure. Jesus says, I see something in this woman that these others don't see. He did it with a woman caught in the act of adultery. You know the story where when she was caught, sorry, in, in, in committing adultery. He says, what did Jesus see? He saw something in this woman. He said, let him without sin cast the first stone. And there was nobody left. They all left. And she was sat at his feet. And he rolled something in the ground. Now everybody has speculated what it is and everything else. I believe it was Welsh. Because Jesus spoke Aramaic and Welsh. <laughs> to me, anyway, he does. He speaks in Welsh. And I just wonder what he wrote. I, I wonder if he would take in a scripture like Jeremiah 29, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you. He didn't see her failure. He saw her future. He didn't allow his opinion to devalue the woman. Don't devalue people because of your spiritual convictions and get on a spiritual high horse and think, oh, I know, they're filthy. Because that attitude before God is filthier. 
We're called to love the unlovable, to touch the untouchable, and not to allow our opinions to devalue people. Well, the Bible says, or oh, relax. We are not called to be Bible bashers. A scripture for every, you know, an answer by using scripture all the time. I'm going to give you an illustration I did in the first service this morning. We had somebody in our church who lost their son at a young age. And I'll never forget the words of a young pastor going to them, not mine, but another pastor going to them to try and comfort them. They just lost their son. And these are the words he used. Scripture. But all things work together for good. How do you know? That pastor, and he did his head slapping. In love. Not appropriate. Aye, but the Bible says, oh, shut up. Sometimes people don't need a verse. They need a hug. Sometimes people don't need a scripture. They need food. Huh? Sometimes people don't need an exposition on the book of Leviticus. They need you to look after their children for them. While they go to work to earn some money to pay the bills. Are you feeling me, church, this morning? Valuing others above your own opinion. Believing in people behind their backs. What comes around and what goes around all the time. You'll be amazed. The power of speaking positively behind someone's back, God sees it, other people get to know about it. Let me make this statement to you. If someone is talking to you negatively about someone else, I can guarantee you they're doing it about you as well. This is their tactic. I don't mean to gossip, but have you heard? I want to share this with you as a matter of prayer. Oh, did you know? And off they go. Let me tell you something. We should practice honoring people behind their backs. Speaking positively about them. I illustrate this by a story that I did this morning. A few weeks ago, I had a phone call from a friend who's an evangelist, an international evangelist who you will know. And he said, Richard, I'm sending someone to see you from America to support what God's doing in your ministry. I said, okay. He gave me the gentleman's name. I said, okay. He says he's a wealthy businessman and he wants to support the ministry. I said, oh, great. So after he gave me his name, as soon as I put the phone down, I got on my knees on my laptop and went on Google. <laughs> and I typed in his name. And he was listed on Wikipedia's website. Now, if you're on there, you're important. And he is... A multi-billionaire. I want to be a billionaire. No, he was... <laughs> he was... Uh, he was a billionaire. And he was coming to see me because God had told him to support the ministry that I was leading. Hallelujah. So he arrived, came up to our offices with his precious wife. He'd flown in from Chicago and sat in my office. I had my plans all laid out. All the churches we wanted to plant, the international ministry. We were doing the crusades abroad in different countries of the world. Things that we were engaged in, more homes because the demands, there's a waiting list because the prisons are full. All this stuff. I had all these plans. I was going to present them to him and say, look, this is what we want to do. This is what we need to fund. <laughs> and just before the meeting, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I said, don't ask him for a penny. <laughs> I rebuked the thought. <laughs> I was like, get thee behind me, Satan. And the Holy Spirit said, you know who this is. 
Tell him you don't want his money. You want him to pray for you for wisdom and protection. I said, Jesus, my name's not Solomon. <laughs> Good all the money. <laughs> and I went in and I sat in there and he said, right, he looked me in the eyes. And I'd preached, I've been preaching on favor. God's got me in a season of favor. And the message when the king is this, he says to Esther, what do you want me to do for you? Because she had favor. Her enemy, Haman, had power, but she had favor. There's a big difference between power and favor. Some people have got power, but I've got favor. And I know which one I prefer. And then, and then he said to me, the exact words, what do you want me to do for you? Pray for me. <clears throat> I said, you, can, you, you can pray for me for wisdom and protection. And he looked at his wife as if he had never heard a response like this before from a ministry. Because he obviously has supported multi-ministries around the world. And he looked at me as if to say, this is, this, I'm not, I, don't, I don't hear this. I said, no, you need to pray for me right now because I'm hurt right now. I'm hurting. <laughs> he prayed for me. I, I started crying. <laughs> I mean, it was deep. <laughs> and, uh, and he left. He left my offices. And all that week, I'd been receiving messages from certain ministries where things were going wrong for somebody and, and I'd been speaking positive about people behind their back and I'd say, no, they're not like that. Believe the best in them. See the best in them. You know, God, they're running their race. They're in their lane. Just cheer them on. Don't get involved in all the bad stuff. Don't be nasty about people. And I kept, I maintained that attitude of believing in others. I preached that on the Sunday. On the Monday, my finance officer came to me, Robert Hart, and he said, Pastor, because he's from the Forest of Dean. It's like where the Wombles live. Pastor. <laughs> he said, he said you, won't, you won't believe this. I said, and I'm waiting. And I'm thinking, yeah, well, what, what is it? Because when your finance officer's got a big smile and excited, you know something's good. You're like, talk to me, boy. And he said, Pastor, he says, we, we've just received an anonymous donation to the ministry for 25,000 pounds. And I was like, well, that's good. But like, I've just been with a billionaire, 25 grand. <laughs> Every level is another devil. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, I know you were, wow. I was like, ah, shucks. Anyway, so 25,000 pounds. Then two weeks later, another 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 25,000 pounds. Then two weeks later, new suit. Ha! <laughs> huh? No, no, no. I know it looks expensive. It's because I'm wearing it. It's not. It's from Next. Look. <laughs> it was in a sale. It's, you know, it's not the suit that makes the man. It's the man who makes the suit, baby. <laughs> Amen. Um, anyway, okay, moving on. I'm going to get into trouble here. Forgive me, Pastor Colin. Anyway. Uh, but, you know... When I think about the people I've believed in, the people I've believed in, and to see where they are now because I believed in them. When Alex Ferguson was asked a question, he says, when players have done well for you, he says, do you, how do you encourage them? And th these were his words. He says, I never overpraise a player. All I say is to all of them, whoever they are, superstars or not, well done. And that's enough. I thought about Jesus and I thought on the day that we are to be with the Lord, the very words that he will use are, well done. And that's sometimes all you need to know. Well done. Do you know what that does to somebody? When someone does something and achieves something, just say to them, 
Well done. My son, my eldest son, Joshua, I get all my material from my kids. They're brilliant. I am being re-educated in the sphere of music at the moment and, and games. I know nothing about them. I remember the Atari, the Commodore 64, had a joystick with a square box. That's all I know about games. Now they're on, they're on, they're on SAS missions and they're out doing this and that. And it's, it's nuts. And I was with him the other day and, I, and he said, Dad, you've got to get with it with your music. <laughs> I said, what? what do you mean with it? He says, yeah, you, you're too old-fashioned. You're into like the hymns and all that, and you know, Charles and John Wesley and all that. Dad, they're dead. <laughs> and he says, he said to me, what, he, went, he went like this, literally, what about Wren Collective? I says, what, are they cards you collect or something? Or He says, no, they're a the Christian band. Anybody heard of them? Is he, not many of us here, I know. And, and I was like, Wren Collective. Yeah, Dad, you've got to get with it. You need modern Christian worship. He did that to me. Modern Christian <laughs> worship. Don't know where he gets it from. <laughs> I said, yeah, but I like... Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this. I like those songs. Which is the Welsh version of Here is Love, sung properly. <laughs> and I'm singing to him, and he's like, Nah, Dad, nah, you don't get it. He ain't getting it. He ain't getting it. He ain't getting it. And Dad, the way you dress, you need some vans. <laughs> I. <laughs> Vans? What are vans? Oh, this is, this is hard work, Dad. This is hard work. I said. <laughs> but now, I know what Wren Collective is, and I wear vans. <laughs> not, not this morning, no. These are Barkers, baby. Barkers. <laughs> From London, of course. And <laughs> I'm telling you that story is because my son is into completely different things to me. But I believe in him. I believe in all of my children. My other son, Caleb, he's a geek. He lives in a cave. He calls it the bedroom. I call it the cave of a dullum. <laughs> I say to my wife, come on, I say, Elijah, come out of that cave yet, love? <laughs> oh, he's still in there. We, over the years, we buy him things for Christmas, and he has a gift of taking them apart and not being able to put them back together again. <laughs> but I believe in him. I believe I see something in him, that he's going to be an inventor. He's going to be, I don't know what he's going to be, but he's going to do something significant with it. They're all different. My kids are all different. Now, Jacob is completely different. He's a liar. <laughs> I got problems with this one. He just tells lies. <laughs> He'll do something in front of you and say, Jacob, you just took that, didn't you? No, I never. <laughs> and he's got the sweetest eyes. Like, and you just like, you lied to me. I'm your dad. I'm a bastard. You're my son and you're lying. This is not good. It didn't help that we called him Jacob, really. I'm going to have to change the poor kid's name to like Israel or something like that. <laughs> From now that shall be called Israel. And Isaac, my fourth son, Isaac, he is a man's man. He's only like five, but he's boisterous. He wants to play rugby. He wants to tackle. He wants to fight. He wants to, oh, he's, he's just a man's man. You know, he's climbing up trees. He's trying to find my hatchet from the logs, and he'll go out with the hatchet and play Indians. And then my daughter, Faith, who was only two, is absolutely beautiful. She loves dancing. I go home at night. Daddy, as soon as I go home, when, I'm, when I manage to get home, I go in, I dance with her. And she loves dancing. But she dances like this because she can only jig.
Then I pick her up, and I put her arm out there, and I dance with her in the living room like this. La, 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 la. Then I give it back to the missus. And then, uh... <laughs> no, I don't do that. <laughs> so I said, rugby in me. Yeah, la, la, la. Anyway, so... <laughs> no. They're all different. But do you know what? I might be the only, and my wife, we might be the only people that ever believe, truly believe in our children. But we're going to. They might fail. They might do well in school, but we believe in them. I believe in them. And just like we as paternal parents believe in our children, God believes in us. Wow. Now you can clap. Go on. <laughs> Let me... See, when you believe in others, the, the scripture that comes to my mind is in Proverbs, that, that life and death is in the power of the tongue. What we say to people. By my words alone, I know I've stood at the back of churches and shook hands and people have talked to me and I've just said to them, you know what? You can do this. I believe in you. Come on, you can do this. I am where I am today because someone believed in me and there are people waiting for you to go and believe in them. We often talk about believing in ourselves, being self-motivated. Yes, important, but what about believing in others? Maybe there's a key in that, in believing in others. When you believe in others, your life will be far richer for it. Far richer for it. Let me tell you in closing about three people that I've believed in. One is called Kenny. Kenny is a fisherman from Fraserborough. He was a trawlerman. He worked on the trawlers. If you've seen the Sky program trawlers, trawlerman, they've got that accent that is so strong in the northeast of Scotland, they have to have subtitles. <laughs> he was working on one of those boats, and him and his brother and they would come offshore and they would get back to the harbor and they had all this money. They were paid very, very well out for weeks on the boat, on the, on the, on the sea, they're fishing. And then they'd come back and they would drink the money, started taking drugs and it was a matter of time before they became heroin addicts. His brother died, had an overdose of heroin. His brother died. Kenny was broken hearted. He took more drugs to deal with the pain. Couldn't face the fact he'd lost his best friend and his brother called Alex. So he started to take drugs. Then one day he's walking by the harbor and decides he's going to end his life and throws himself off the harbor into that slick that is left after the tide has gone out. He's there for three or four hours, hypothermia starting to kick in. He's, he's foaming at the mouth. He is overdosing. The, the tide is starting to come in. And a gentleman just so happens to be walking his dog at the side like this. Well, he would walk a dog like that. He wouldn't walk it like that, would you? Anyway, so, I can't help it, sorry. Um, he's walking his dog like this, and he sees Kenny. He phones up the ambulance, 999. He said, I've got a problem. There's a young man in the, in, the, in the harbor. The ambulance comes. Police arrive at the scene. They jump into the water that's now starting to rise. They, they grab him. They pick him up. They wrap him in foil. He is freezing cold. He's going to die of hypothermia. They put him in the back of the ambulance. They rush him to hospital. He is a drug addict about to die on that close on death's door. And here he is in a hospital in A&E in Scotland, lying there. And someone says to him, you can get help by going to Victor Outreach in Wales. After they deal with this, the condition he had, they put him in the back of a car. He is driven down to Wales. He comes into our home. He gives his life to Jesus Christ. His life is completely changed. He's set free from his drug addiction. He is healed of all of that. Then, today, let me fast forward this for you. We never saw his failures. We saw his future. Today, Kenny is the senior pastor of Victory Church in Cumbran. Because, because somebody believed in him and they told him, I believe in you. Not only that, Kenny is now married and he has two children of his own and he named one of his children after his brother, Alex. He was at the point of death. But I know someone who specializes in resurrection. <laughs> it's dead, I know. I remember when my first church was in Tipton in the black country in Birmingham and someone said to me, you don't want to go there, Rich. It's dead. And I remember saying to them, that's why I'm going, because Jesus likes to raise the dead. 
Never too dead for God to raise it. Kenny. What about Trudy? Some of you know Trudy. I have to tell this story. I feel it's right. Trudy was found on the streets of Bristol by some Catholic nuns. She was a size six through heroin use. She'd lost all her teeth. She was skin and bones, literally. She was carried in, her ar- in the arms of a Catholic priest, brought to us. She came to us. She gave her life to Christ. She started to put on weight. We got her teeth sorted out because most people that come to us, we have to get them teeth. Uh, these are my own, by the way. These are mine. <laughs> Today, after being the manager of the women's home, Trudy is at Elim Bible College preparing for full-time ministry. And I remember when she left, she just things she said to me, she said, Pastor, thank you for believing in me. Because nobody else did. You know how powerful that is. And finally, as I close, Joel. Joel's been here and shared his story. Joel was born in the UK. His mother went through domestic violence, so she fled the UK many, many years ago to the US. They were living in California. Joel became a very bitter, angry young man. Even after getting married and having children, his life was in a mess. He was taking drugs. Found himself serving a 14-year sentence in San Quentin Prison. Maximum security prison where they house the most dangerous people in America. Rapists, murderers, gangsters, they're all there. And Joel found himself in that prison cell. After serving a 14-year sentence, he comes out of prison and realizes that his only way out is to take his life by drinking himself to death. He starts drinking himself to death. He does a robbery. The courts decide to deport him out of America for life, never allowed back in. He's put on a plane. He lands at Heathrow Airport with no money in his pocket, the clothes only on his back after being deported. He walks out of the airport, has no money for a taxi. From that moment on, he is living on the streets. He becomes a tramp. Matted hair, dirty skin. His skin is stained with dirt under his nails. He's wetting himself. He stinks of urine. He's living on your streets and mine. And nobody knows his name. And as he's lying in a park... A Christian happens to be walking by. Maybe. And as the Christian walks by and says, I know someone can help you. Gets hold of a pastor of a church here in London. The pastor says, I know of a place called Victory Outreach. They put him in the car. He comes to us. I remember the day that he walked into the home. I took one look at him. And to my displeasure, this is what I thought. This guy is not going to make it. I've worked with some bad people. I've worked with some people who are really broken. I took one look at him and I thought, this guy ain't going to make it. But you know God specializes in people who just ain't going to make it. <laughs> and he stood there shaking like this. Long hair, filthy clothes. Our guys got around him and loved him. They washed him. And they shaved him and they changed him and they fed him his food because he couldn't feed himself. And then one day I sat in my office <laughs> and Joel walked in with a mug and a cup of tea. And he walked over to my desk, still bearing the scars of his alcohol life living on the streets. You can see a face that's been lived in so badly. And he places the cup on my desk. And he says, Pastor, I managed to bring you, and it's the most important thing I've done since I've been here. I've managed to bring you a cup of tea without spilling it. He said this, thank you for believing in me. Today he's the manager of our men's home. Thank you. And...
I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what your failures are. They might be many. I don't know where you are in life, but I know this. God believes in you. And can I, do, I know I don't know you, but just take these words from me today. I believe in you. We believe in you. We believe in you. It's not over until God says so. Let's all stand together, shall we? On our hands. I hope you've been encouraged today. I hope you've come to church thinking, well, I didn't all expect, but you know what? I've been encouraged. I've been blessed. Be encouraged. David encouraged himself in the Lord. I just want to encourage you today. You can do it. You can make it. You can be all God's called you to be. I don't care what the enemy said again. The Bible says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors to him who loved us and gave himself for us. Shake off the negativity. Get rid of the stuff that's in your head that tells you you're too bad, you failed, you've never been anything. Listen, let me tell you, God doesn't see your failure today. He sees your future. And your future is looking good. Some of people might, people might have written you off. God's about to write you back into the story. Come on, somebody. And there are good days ahead of you. You need to embrace that today. Come on, raise your hands in this place this morning as I pray for you. Father, right now, over every single life, way up in the balcony, Lord, over there with Christian, in the overflow room right now, in the name of Jesus, where you are right now, I'm praying with and for you that every word the enemy has spoken, we take it captive right now in the name of Jesus. Every stronghold, every lie of the devil, and we pull it down. In Jesus' name. And we choose to speak life to others. Life to ourselves. We choose to speak your word into our darkness. Your word that says you know the plans you have for us. To bless us, not to do us harm. To do us good. To give us a future and a hope. Jesus, say I receive it. I receive all that you have for me. I am your child. You are my Father. You want to bless me so that I can be a blessing. I choose today to believe in you, to believe in others, and to believe I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Give the Lord some praise here this morning, shall we?